Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and welcome to this special throw-in podcast with me, Sinead Kassan. We're going to look back on the extraordinary career of Brian Cody, who finished up as Kilkenny manager after 24 years in charge. Joining me to give their insights on what made Cody so special is Eddie Brennan, eight-time All-Ireland winner and four-time All-Star under Cody, Martin Brehany, who wrote Cody's autobiography in 2009, and Irish Independent Chief Sports Writer Vincent Hogan. Eddie, to you first, your senior inter-county career started in 2000 when Brian Cody Cody managed Kilkenny to his first All-Ireland win over Offaly. Did you sense at all back then that this was going to be the start of something very special for Kilkenny Hurling? Not really, to be honest. I, I suppose I was I was the, the the new kid on the block or one of seven or eight of them that had come into the panel at that time, Sinead, and I just was uh, starstruck and just living for the moment, uh, not too pushed about what was coming down the line. Um we were coming off the back of uh, my first year playing with Kilkenny in 99 as an under-21 and you graduated straight in and sure it was just, uh, just boyhood dream stuff really. Uh, you looked around the dressing room and it was filled with brilliant, brilliant players that were inspirational and there's, you know, I remember, you know, maybe two years down the line where, and I'm on record saying where Peter Barry kind of put the arm around me one evening and said, you're going to have to stop uh looking at the lads or admiring lads and not, you know, getting a bit selfish now. And and that was maybe, a, a, you know, a pivotal moment. But um, at that stage, like I said, you just lived for the moment. You lived for the the, the joy of what it was. And, and we were on the crest of a wave at the time. Um, just absolutely loving it, loving life and, and enjoying it. And, you know, I, I think I said there recently about myself and Derek going out to an official photograph around 08 or 09. And, you know, Derek saying, he said, this is mental like that. We won in 06 and that was seen as, you know, we were in bother and we came back and won 06. And I think all of us at that stage, there was almost a pressure off us going, well, great. It was deadly to get one more. We had won four at the time. You said, wow, that's just fantastic. And then the whole thing just went mental altogether. So it was only maybe at 06 that that point that you're making that you start to realize. And even when I left, I felt right the end of 2012. I said, God, this could be it now because he's won a lot, will he? And sure, look, the rest is history, like, you know. Martin, you wrote his autobiography. What was it like working with uh, Brian Cody? Well, it was very easy, actually. And people, I've always told people that's, that because uh, I think there's this fear, and particularly maybe among the journalists and the whole lot, that he's just fearsome character. and. Far from it. I mean, I've I've done five or six of those uh, ghost or autobiographies with people, and I could say hand in heart that Brian Cody was as easy as any of them, and easier than a lot of them. I mean, he had, he had the view, you know what you're doing on that side of it, uh, away with you and do it. And there is a thing when you're when you're doing your book with somebody when you 
uh, you know, you do all the interviews or some of the interviews and you then you sit down and you, you try and put a structure on it and then you write, write the, the first 10, 15,000 words. And when you hand over those first maybe four or five chapters to the, to the, the subject, there's always that apprehension. Well, what will the reaction be or will it be? You know, it's almost it's almost as well, <laughs> like a leaving set paper. You say, what reaction are you going to get? And I remember I had given it to Brian Cody and we met, I think, the following week to uh, move on. And I said, Have you, how would you get on with that? And he just took it and he handed it back to me. And there were a few little uh, mistakes or whatever. And that was it. There was no, and that was the way it was from start to finish. He was absolutely great to deal with. And I found as well that, you know, I, I think there's this, this fearsome image of, of him. That, 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 that didn't apply in doing the book. And I found a lot of, a lot of humor in him. And I, I must say, I enjoyed it. It was a fantastic experience in, in 2000. Now, I think there were a lot of surprise that he did the book. And that's, that's another story. But um, I was delighted and I really enjoyed it because it, it was, it was, uh, it was it was a real experience, but in terms of uh, uh, on a, a scale of, of difficulty, it was certainly uh, not, it didn't it didn't it didn't register at all. And as I say, compared to the, all the others I did, he was right up there with the best of them. Yeah, Martin obviously did the autobiography, Vincent. You described it pretty well in your piece last weekend that Cody had a stark, unknowable quality, I and mean, we didn't feel like we knew him either, though. You know what shocks me, Sinead? The thought that he was forty-four when he got the job in ninety-eight, because. He's always had this physical presence and this power of delivery. And I don't know if it comes from being a school teacher and then a school principal. It's a, a natural thing for you to address a group. But like, I'm amazed that I'm, I'm only six years younger than Brian Cody because I always felt he had a, a huge seniority. But just to echo what Martin says there, I about going back about 20 years ago, I used to have this thing at the start of every season maybe the top eight or nine hurling managers, I go and interview them and we do this big thing for the start of the championship. So I had this regular gig. We're going down to Brian and sitting in the stand in Nolan Park and shooting the breeze with him. And it was a remarkably pleasant, enjoyable experience. But I do think the more success he had and the more he reinvented Kilkenny, I think the distance that... You hear the likes of Eddie talk about that gradually grew between him and his players. I think it grew between him and the media as well, that there was a kind of an austerity that he built up over the years. Um, he had a, an extraordinary sense of self. He had an extraordinary sense of his status in the game. And he was quite happy for people to kind of, to experience that aura and be aware of that aura. He knew, he, he knew exactly when he walked into a room, the presence he had. Indeed. Tell us what he was like in the dressing room. You do sometimes like forget certain events and certain incidents. And it just brought some of them back to me. And even on that, that point alone, Sinead, like what he was, he was just, he was economical. He was to the point, very deliberate, uh, thoughtful and genuine. And I suppose that was the, that was the big thing with him, but he had a huge presence. And I kind of said the, you know, last night joke to that, we'd be inside waiting for me to take off and we'd be laughing and joking and messing and next thing he'd walk in and it was, you know, it was like the gift grub scene where everyone went, shh, and, and in came the gaffer, like, you know, but he just, he had that, he had our respect and, and I think it was first and foremost a great honour, you know, I remember the first phone call I got to say he wanted you to come in and you just were on cloud nine and, but when he, when he had something to say, by God, you know, and, and more often than not, I remember you know, leaving the dressing room, you know, there was, I, I felt there was a consistency in, in, in 
key times in the run-up to matches that he focused on. One was maybe two or three weeks out from the match where he wanted everyone's heads focused for the internal matches and what would lay ahead in the opposition. And then there was obviously, you know, the week of the match was all about getting fresh. And then the Friday night, you know, he took the dressing room. He, you know, the team was announced and then he done his brief and he would throw the floor over sometimes and he'd say, I want to hear from two or three. But always, always his messages were so relevant and pointed and genuine and to the point of, of what message he wants to get across. And I invariably come out at dressing room, just or out at meeting room, pumped. I remember heading to Langton's, the short car journey. And I was like, right, keep it in check, get ready, keep it, hold it for Sunday. You were relieved that your name appeared on the team sheet. And then after that, it was handbrake off and get ready for it. But he had a great way to deliver his message. And, 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 and often at times, if you were a bit worried or down or doubting something, then that was what maybe fixed your mind and got you tuned in for what was ahead. And you just invariably took the responsibility of being handed a starting jersey and you just did not want to let him down. Was there a fear factor um, as well, Eddie? I should have was, definitely. I think I think that's what anything in life is about. If you look at, uh, look, I've read a lot of sports books and sure, look, we're human. You, you, you fear that you're going to fail. You fear that you're not going to be adequate enough on any given day when you're going playing a match in Croke Park or you feel you're not going to be good enough, no more than any walk of life. And I suppose that's a good thing. It's how you harness that fear or how you utilise that fear. And I think Brian brought that because, you know, in, in he was able to balance it and temper it. But ultimately, you know, he knew that by keeping you on edge and keeping you worried about or, you know, somewhat on, on your toes that there's nothing guaranteed here. Your place is never guaranteed. So that kind of kept you sharp. And I think I think I would like to think that he was very much aware of that factor and that it was a case of it either brought the best out of you. And sometimes you can view that as being a little bit cold at times and say, well, it's sink or swim territory. But it was. And I would like to think it definitely for me anyway. I remember going into trainings, you were you were very aware of what he seen you doing, that if you were out doing a little bit extra early, you were mindful that you'd done that really genuinely and that you showed him. If he if we were doing a shooting drill, you did not want that ball to go wide. And the one, the one that sticks out for me was we used to often and often, uh, the week of a match, we'd do this drill where we were 30 yards apart and we would be burying the ball at each other. We would be trying to hit each other with the ball. But the trick was one touch, control, and return it with interest. And he would be walking up and down behind us. And if your ball wasn't being controlled, you had to run to the sideline to collect it. And there was the optics of him seeing you doing that. You're going, he is looking at this as this lad is not tuned in or not ready. Martin, like 11 All-Ireland's 18 Leinster Championships. And Vincent said there, you know, strong belief system. But Martin, he used to have the kind of the old school thrown at him as well and all the rest. Like, was he that immovable or how did you see him change over the years? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, the, the old school thing, because that nonsense started, would you believe, way, it started as far back as 2005. Um, Eddie, Eddie will remember this because do you remember the Galway, the Galway uh, Kilkenny semi-final? Galway won 518 to 418. You scored 2-4 I did that day, by the way. I just checked it before I came on. But, uh, so I'm, I'm, I, missed, I missed three points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told me about those. Uh, he, told, he told me too. <laughs> <laughs> he just scored three goals. But I remember talking to him uh, when doing the book afterwards and 
that game went down. I was regarded as one of the great all-time classics. And he said, "Yeah, he said I'm re- I'm listening to that from all the people writing and pundits of the whole." I says, "Were there any defences playing?" And it was a good question because defences. But in going into 2006, Ned, you you will certainly obviously be in the heart where you recall this. There was a feeling, and it was being written by by a lot of uh, I won't say journalists. I'd say say pundits and ex-players at the time that he was a little bit old-fashioned, and that Cork had overtaken you. And we're going, and we're moving things on as a new. To a new, I mean, there was one column written that uh, Kenny wouldn't win All Ireland again in that decade, and that really got him. And you will recall so, in that 2006 final, which, by the way, was the best All Ireland final I think I ever saw, because it was it was Cork. This was heavyweight stuff. This was Cork going for the three in a row. Kenny trying to change the the narrative that that uh, they were that uh, this Cork team was so good, and the ferocity that you brought to it that day, the Kenny brought it was unreal. But at that stage, even there were people talking about well, there were there were more advanced ways of doing things and the whole. Now that's 16 years ago, and we've got it regularly, regularly since. And it's as if unless Kilkenny under Brian Cody won in North Ireland, oh well, he was uh, he was he was slightly old school. And you know what I think it is? I actually think it's slightly ageist. I think that's going on a lot. There's an attempt now to intellectualize hauling to a ridiculous degree, and it's 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 gone over the top completely. And I think there was that factor, certainly for the last three or four years, the idea that this man could. Uh, so I think he had no time for that, and I think his record right to last Sunday week showed he he was right. Kilkenny weren't old school, never bloody hell who would have thought they were. I mean, yet people, the view was that, that, that they were, which was ridiculous. Yeah, just on that point, Marin, it's a very important one. I think I recall even our kind of uh, approach to that match, and it was very much, I suppose, if you like, it was probably the, the beginning of a kind of a, a zonal formation in terms of, we, as a te- I was 10 that day I started, you were told that, you know, you were very much aware that, that Jerry O'Connor and Tom Kenny liked to come into those pockets, they weren't to be allowed to get ball uncontested. And I think, if memory serves me right, our, our brief was that Pat Mulcahy and Brian Murphy could take short ones, but they weren't allowed to get the halfbacks or midfielders with short puckouts. And that was, the, that was where we drew the battle lines. So if you like, with all the talk of modern hurling in 06, we went a fraction zonal and we had to be ready to just you know, get on everything that we weren't that we were to suffocate the life out of Cork if you like because their half back line was their platform and platforms and zone and all that is very much seen as now the, the buzzwords and it changed the course of, of history that, that game actually because if you had lost if Kilkenny had lost maybe Brian had gone at the time said that he went what four in a row and, and all the other ones as well and Cork had got to three in a row I mean that was to me, the, the the best and the most intriguing all Ireland final. Uh, but surely the key to that game was that uh, the, the fiendish Kilkenny t- tactic of getting onto the ground, man, not to cut the grass. <laughs> I mean, that was the key, surely. But you know what? You talk about the different iterations of Kilkenny. Like, you know, Cork were supposed to be the modern team, 04 and 05, going for the three in a row. Kilkenny then go four in a row. Then tip come, my own county tip. Six days after we win the All-Ireland in 2010, we blow Galway out of the water in the under-21s. We are the, the modern team now. What happens? And you told Can, everybody about it as well, Vincent. We did. <laughs> and can Kenny win the next two? Then Davy Fitz comes with, with, with Clare in 2013. A new modern possession game. Kilkenny are gone. What happens? Kilkenny win 14 and 15. The longevity that that man has shown yeah. to win all of those and keep coming back and keep bouncing back from that narrative that they were old school and the game had moved on beyond them is extraordinary. But one of the things that I was always struck by as well, we, we talk about the physical presence of Cody. I was always struck by the need some opposition managers felt 
to front up to it. It was yeah. not in Sheedy in 09. You kind of have to had to be seen to front up to this man if you expected your team to front up to Kilkenny. We saw Anthony Daly do it with the dubs. We saw Anthony Cunningham do it, I think, in 2012. Managers felt compelled to be seen to stand up to this man because he had such an aura about him. Do you remember even what the 2010, the league in Turles, I think, Liam Sheedy set down a marker. And I remember Jeff, Gerlach Nan famously talking about that, that up in the league match, there was a bit of a powwow down near the sideline. And, oh, geez, yeah, no, Liam Sheedy was kind of there directing operations and Brian came down to meet him. And there was a bit of a set too, like, or there's a standoff. There, there was a jostle, I think, Eddie. Yeah, there was, there was. And what did you think when he saw that, Eddie, when he saw him do that as players? Um, I suppose what it done was there was times without doubt as a group and, and players we went a, we went a bit soft. There's no point in saying that we didn't. Um, we you know yeah, and it's natural in in uh, when you think of amateur players like to sustain uh, that kind of hunger year in year out. It's robotic if you like, but you know we were only human to a point. And I think oh nine league final is one of my standout memories that there was a you know the challenges and we loved the challenges you know. You know, it was one thing, you know, dominating and winning the match by, you know, six or seven points. But I, I that 09 league final is one of my biggest memories. And, and, and I think Brian loved grinding out those battles. And I think there was days there, definitely. I think sometimes, maybe when you're sailing along as a player, and sometimes you do, you drift at times. But I think when you see your manager standing up like that, you go, oh God, hey, we need to up our game because... I think sometimes managers will do that when they sense the team is not right. And there's no doubt about it. In 2010, when that kind of started, we were probably on the, the wane a little bit. And they're the little yards and inches of slippage that happen and they accumulate then and lead to a, you know, a big defeat then. What about the ruthlessness, uh, Martin? I suppose that, that, I mean, that, that may be over exaggerated as well because that, that feeds on itself. And, and, there, but there are, there are, and Eddie mentions one there, there was also 2001, Eddie, uh, lost to the semi-final to Galway. And I always remember mentioning to me afterwards that one of the, uh, before the match started, I think it was uh, Richie Morey, the Galway midfielder, he was 19 at the time. And, and Dave he, Tierney, yeah, both of them. Yeah, they tore, they tore into the Kilkenny mid, and they got physically on top of Kilkenny that day. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And that was... A, he always mentioned that as a reference point for for you know the, the, when when something needed to needed to uh, needed to change because he, he felt it. but I wonder another another aspect will be this I think in all of this it has to be said that he was dealing with an extraordinary collection of players right through the, 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 the that era there's no nobody can nobody can dispute that and you wonder you know Eddie you were there for a long time but after you were gone you wonder. Did the clubs create? Uh, did did, did the, the 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 sort of player that Kilkenny that won so much Kilkenny? Were the clubs attempting to produce more players, sort of the image and likeness, not necessarily with the same skill or same? It's exactly the same set of talents, but the mentality and that Kilkenniness, if you like, that 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 was sort of so much part of how, what how they achieved it, and that 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 has maintained itself. And it'll be interesting now to see for the next manager, will the impact of that be be important because. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you could argue that his achievements or that Kenny's achievements, perhaps over the last number of years, has been as good as, as some of the years that the All Islands are won because they didn't quite have the, they didn't have the the, the, the top the 15, the probably the panel. So there's that end to it too that over the last few years they have uh, he has managed to get an offer out of out of a panel that wasn't really as good as uh, what had gone on through the glory years. Vincent, can you kind of sum up his standing? I suppose you know even beyond GA in sport in general. Oh, it's uh, he's unique. Um, 
the thing about that, Sinead, I think, is that there is no Cody template to follow because, you know, you don't pick notes on what Brian Cody did because it's not what he did so much as how he did it and the natural authority he could command. Do you know there's a picture, Sinead, that was taken after the recent semi-final defeat of Clare and it's of Mikey Butler and another, one of the younger players. And, Kean and Kenny. Kean Kenny. And, and they're looking into his eyes and their, their devotion to the man is there. It's there in black and white in that picture. But, you know, Eddie talked about a few minutes ago about the fear. The fear the players had was of displeasing this man. And that tells you of the force of his personality that all these generations, you know, you go back to when he started in 98 to here in 2022, the different generations that have gone through his fingers. And he had that power of delivery that you could go into the dressing room, you know, in Nolan Park the Friday before an All-Ireland final. And he wouldn't necessarily say anything different to what he said the previous year, but it was the way he said it and the fact that there was no bullshit in it. But one side of it that I'm really intrigued by is you take Jackie Tyrrell and Henry Shefflin towards the end of their careers and the role played by someone like brother Damien Brennan, who was a huge figure for both of those lads. But it was a very informal role that brother Damien had. And I never once heard Brian Cody referring to someone like brother Damien, but the lads would go into Callan to brother Damien, who's now gone sadly. And theoretically they were going in for a bit of physio on an injured calf or whatever but it was sports psychology that he was he was working on them and they in both their books they wax lyrically about the impact Damien Brennan had on them but it was very much an informal impact so so you had this ruthlessness within that Kilkenny dressing room And, and Cody to be fair he always said you're good enough to be here but you don't have to be here it was your choice to be there and I think to some degree, it was an addictive environment that if you could survive in that environment, you wanted nothing more than to be in there as painful physically as it might be some nights. But for some players, they needed something beyond that. And I think that's what you see with maybe Henry and Jackie particularly, that brother Damien Brennan. So there were so many different layers to that Kilkenny success story. How did he make it an addictive um, environment, Eddie? And how did that kind of play out? How did that manifest itself for you as a player? I can recall him distinctly saying on several occasions that the best hurlers in Ireland are in this room, but it's our attitude and our application that's ultimately going to define us. And are you willing to, you know, go in mean, mean, hungry, ruthless, so and so is what he said to us. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. He said. He said. I think he even said. He said, "Throw the ball out to me in the forty-five. I put it over the bar myself." But he said, "Are you willing to go in? I know you can do that, but it's ultimately your your." how you go about your business and, and, and how hard you're willing to work. And I think, um, you know, Fenno captured it beautifully with that quote last night. It's an exceptional quote. And I will, I will imagine it will be kind and used by an awful lot of people over the next 20, 30 years. And, and it's, it's relevant. But I think you knew, Sinead, that, as I said, I'm on record saying I, I, I almost packed it in in 06. But I suppose what, what swung it for me a little bit was, I knew that there was, I said, these boys, you know, you knew the group, you knew what Brian Cody wanted. There's going to be success. There's going to be an incredible, you know, a little adventure. There's going to be a journey. There's going to be going to Croke Park and you wanted to be part of it. And, and, and he, he kind of sold that dream to you as such, but he certainly wasn't going to hand it to you. You had to come 
and fight for it. And and you had to go into Nolan Park and that was where the battle line started. Like you had to go in there. And I remember just TJ Reid's very first night coming into training with us. And we all knew what TJ was about. We'd seen him play so well for Kilkenny. And he got savaged. I seen, you know, Jackie Terrell, I think, and Michael Kavanagh doubled up on TJ at one stage. He was coming in with a ball. His feet definitely left the ground and he was unceremoniously dumped to the ground. And it was just kind of going, you're in with the big boys now and you weren't going to flick the ball over anyone's head. And I think Brian, it wasn't that he wanted to see, uh, you know, guess torn asunder, but he wants to see if you're good enough to survive in this environment, are you what I need to go where I want you to go? I want to bring this group to a certain place and this is where you're going to find out what lads have or not. And very quickly, it is sink or swim and and that was the environment. But like you said, Sinead, there was a comfort in that pain. There was a comfort. Vincent said it there a while ago. It was a, a nice way of describing it. There was comfort in that. You came out of nights psychologically and physically drains, but there was almost a happiness in that saying, yeah, I'm in good fettle and I'm, I'm going to be close to starting. Martin, do we know, like, do we have any idea of why he actually decided to go? Was it like he saw the likes of John Kiley's Limerick and thought, you know, a younger guy is needed? What, what do you imagine it, it, the reason was? Oh, I, I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't have thought he, he thought a younger man is needed. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, maybe he's after twenty four seasons. I just, he just, and maybe he decided at some stage, maybe two years. I'll give it two more years. Maybe this year he said, "I'll, I'll, I'll have one, I'll have one more go at it." I mean, you, I suppose you, you'd be asking that question whenever he left. Uh, it certainly wasn't. It certainly wasn't that. Uh, he felt he couldn't do the job anymore. But but Eddie mentioned one thing there. I remember him saying to me about the book, yeah, that, you know, that he didn't want fellas who could hit the ball over. I, I could hit the ball over the bar from 45 metres. I remember him saying to me one time that, you know, he said, I could still play cornerback, he said, if, if the legs were right. He said, because I, I can read the game. He said, I see things. He says, yeah, the heads. that's all. The, and you could you could almost sense the frustration sometimes that, that he could see. What what mightn't have been? He's, I could still play. if only the legs would, would would keep me going, you know. And he was he was, he was he was that's that's fifteen years ago. So he was well past playing age that stage. But but he had that eye for it. And but certainly in terms of why he went, I'd say look, he just decided it's time to go. And I wouldn't think there was any any other. Uh, I mean, uh, any no other reason for that. But another interesting thing I will say that what's happening going forward. Here's the first time I don't know who. I think John Healy was the chairman of the of the of the county board. When um, uh, Brian was appointed back in November 1998, no Kilkenny chairman has ever had to make this decision before. It's like the chairman of um, uh, Manchester United or whatever, and we know how badly they got it wrong in 2013. But so it's it's a big challenge now for Kilkenny uh, for the for the people charged with with finding a replacement for him, not let alone whoever gets that job, because uh, they've they've no experience of it, which some counties have. Uh, some chairman do it every second year, but a different challenge in Kilkenny now. Absolutely, I sure Eddie. That leads us on nicely. What... Pass. I wonder Go on what to I could ask question, here. <laughs> Are you interested? Come on. Look, it's like Anton Sinead. I think you know the next best thing they say to play in is management and trying to do that. But uh, look, I think as I said there, I think you know it would be you know your own club and your own county obviously hold a special appeal but um look i, I think on that there's, there's obviously huge speculation there there's obviously huge uh curiosity around it and and, and there's an element of god you know what's going to happen and everyone wants to see with all the, the merry-go-rounds that are going on but um yeah look i i don't know god only knows we'll we'll see what happens you'd like to think that there's 
a good plan, an advanced plan in place at the moment that, you know, and I look, my personal opinion is, you know, Brian would have had some kind of a, an input into that. He, I definitely think he would be the one probably with the finger on the pulse to say, listen, I believe this is the way you should go. Or and maybe I'm being, you know, I'm not being unfair on him by saying that. I would imagine, you know, any big decisions that are made with Kilkenny over the last few years, even I, I, I would imagine that when I was asked to take on the 21s in 2016, it was on, you know, Brian's input too. So uh, in that regard, like I just think it's it's probably there's pressure on the lads because every other year it was well Brian is it a yes or a no yes and they're probably going phew we don't have to do that now so um but yeah look it'll be interesting to see and look I, I suppose I, in regards to who it's going to be you know time will tell and as I said I, I don't want to as I said speculate on that anyway. Sinead, Sinead just like asking the, the Minister for Finance will you give me, give me the budget a week in advance there's a diplomatic answer from Eddie there which, uh, which I suppose in fairness is expected but uh, um, yeah, I think well, so obviously Eddie will will be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how they'll do it. Whether I'm sure it won't be. They'll probably approach people, and uh, there's quite a, there's quite a few to approach. I mean, the issue, for instance, of Henry Shefton. Although I doubt very much if if Kilkenny will go asking Henry at this stage uh, to leave another county. I doubt. I, I doubt if they'd even do that because I mean that wouldn't that wouldn't mightn't be the, the way the Kilkenny way of doing business. So uh, it'll be interesting. But uh, quite a lot of names, uh, top names, and. Uh, interested and uh, uh, willing and uh, certainly able to do it as well. Yeah, and just finally, Vincent, obviously for those of us on the outside, it's going to be so strange not seeing Brian Cody prowl that uh, that sideline next year. But uh, for the players as well, it's like just, you know, start of a, a new era. It's going to be very strange, Sinead. I, I'm inclined to agree with Eddie. I suspect that the, the new appointee will have a Cody imprimatur. I think he's had such an influence in Kilkenny hurling for so long, I would imagine he has his own views on who should step in and he may have imparted them to the county board. Very strange for the players to have a new voice there. Very strange for us, Sinead, because we're so familiar with him coming in. That man has come in to us after winning All-Irelands and we're worn out after four questions. He's literally been gone after four questions because we've nothing new to ask him, nothing new to say. So it's going to be very, very different for us all. But his legacy, his legacy is there forevermore. Absolutely. Well, Vincent, Martin and Eddie, thanks a million for that. Well, that's it for this special edition of The Throne. Looking back on the remarkable career of Brian Cody and my thanks to Eddie, Martin and Vincent for joining me on the show. Later in the week, we'll also have a special preview podcast for Sunday's Women's All-Ireland Football Final between Meath and Kerry with Noel Healy and Rena Buckley. You can listen, rate and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Bye for now. This is an Irish independent podcast.